Mike. Lauren. Mike, you're a bike guy. In fact, we should probably just call you Bike Loria. Uh, please put $5 in the pun jar. <laughs> so terrible. I'm sorry. All right. How do you feel about e-bikes? I love e-bikes. Um, they make cycling more accessible to more people. And, you know, it keeps people out of cars a lot of times because people will choose an e-bike uh, for a route that they would normally choose for a car. So I'm, I'm all for them. Well, that's exactly what we're going to be um, cycling through today. Nice. Yeah, nice. Hello, welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And I'm Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And we're also joined this week by Wired Senior Associate Reviews Editor, Adrian So, who joins us from Portland. Hey, Adrian. Hey, guys. And Wired Reviews Editor, Julian Chicato, who is joining us from New York City. Hey, Julian. Hello. All right, so this is the e-bike episode. It's everything you've ever wanted to know about e-bikes. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, or if you read Wired, you know that we like to talk about bikes. But here's the thing, and this is where I, I ruin my cred as a tech writer here. I've never ridden an e-bike. Never. What? I know. And from what my colleagues here tell me, <laughs> aka Bike Calori, they're fast, they're fun to ride, and they can free up traffic and cut down on emissions. So today we're talking about both buying and renting e-bikes. In the second half of the show, Adrian is going to tell us what you need to know about buying an e-bike if you're ready to make that commitment. But at first, let's talk about just kind of dipping our toes in. Let's talk about bike sharing. Because Julian, you recently wrote about Lyft's new e-bike. This is Lyft, the ride-sharing company, and they're doing e-bikes. Tell us about this. Right. So Lyft actually owns uh, several fleets around the country, as they're called. They're bike sharing fleets. Um, many of them have regular bikes, um, you know, traditional or analog bikes, however you want to call them. And then some of them are pedal assist bikes, which are also known as uh, electric bikes. And so there is a current electric bike already, but this is a new version that they unveiled. Uh, it's currently in public beta. It's going to be available um, in the Bay Area, as well as in select other cities initially, like New York in Chicago. Um, but essentially, it's just an improved version of their current pedal assist bike. It's more powerful. Uh, it does everything for you. So you don't need to deal with any gears or anything like that. So it's very beginner friendly. You just kind of hop on and go. Um, and it has enough power to sort of accurately um, give you power when you're going up a hill, for example, or it sort of manages all of that by itself. Um, you don't really need to think about it or anything. You just kind of ride and go. And if you need that extra power to you know, cut across a road, then it'll give it to you. Or if you need less power because you're on a flat road, then it won't, you know, overburden you with so much that you're going super fast. And it's all also limited to um, city limits. So for example, in New York, it's limited to 20 miles per hour. Um, but they did a couple more things with this version. They made it completely um, have a reflective paint job. So uh, it's much safer to see at night or easier to see at night, I should say. And um, the brakes are also stronger. It has a much larger range. So 60 miles, they say, which I don't think anyone is really going on a 60 mile trip with uh, an electric bike from a bike share program but hey now now you can <laughs> that's that's probably that's like about 10 rides or so yeah in a system like like city bike or like bay wheels in san francisco yeah so the idea with having that larger range it just basically means that it's not necessarily for one rider to take it on a 60 mile trip but it means the service operators don't have to swap out those batteries as often because it'll just last a whole lot longer 
So the batteries actually have to be swapped out. They're not rechargeable. So it's two different methods. Um, at the moment, they do have these vans that just go by these uh, fleet stations and then they'll you know, find the electric ones, swap them out. And that's still going to be the case with the new one. But Lyft is also implementing these new charging stations into the existing docking stations. So some select charging stations starting this year um, will actually have the ability to automatically recharge those bikes when they're docked so they won't need to replace them as often or at all i know that lime the scooter company in portland like they have like their fleet of contractor juicers or whatever that they pay like some nominal fee to like run around and like find all the scooters to recharge them so i don't know if lyft is doing that too (laughs) Um, yeah, basically it's similar. Um, you know, they're just basically all in a van. Uh, they're not called juicers. That is a good <laughs> name. Um, but, uh, it's basically, it's super easy to swap out the batteries. But then, of course, if they're implementing, um, and connecting these docks to the grid, then they don't need to do that at all. And I think the idea is eventually we'll get to a point where all of these existing stations will just be able to automatically charge these things. But at the moment, I think that would require a lot of, overhaul in the public infrastructure sector. So I think that basically is the easiest way to just swap out the batteries every, you know, once a day, maybe uh, every other day, depends on how much it's being used. Do these e-bike shares come with helmets or other safety gear you might need? Uh, they do not. Um, they all recommend that you wear one and you bring your own, um, but that responsibility is on you. Um, some public programs uh, give you some helmets for free. I know New York has like a specific helmet fitting class that you can sort of find with the Department of Transportation, and they'll actually give you a free helmet uh, if you go and attend while supplies last. Um, but uh, the idea is that, you know, there are ways for you to maybe procure a, a free helmet um, maybe depending on your city. What I've seen at CES, what we've all seen at CES actually are those inflatable helmets, like the small ones that like you can wear around your neck or like that are pocket sized. And then when they sense that you've like had an impact of some kind, they like suddenly inflate. Like, I don't know if you guys have, remember seeing that guy like falling down repeatedly the last time we were at yes. CES in person and then like it all just like comes up. Like that would be my ideal solution if there was just like, a vending machine next to like the dock and you could just get like your pocket size like inflatable helmet and just like pay like two dollars for it like that is that is my dream do you know the person at lyft that i can write to julian because i have an idea (laughs) just tweet tweet at them (laughs) adrian i do remember that that guy he was wearing an inflatable uh vest too and he just kept riding this bike around this carpeted, you know, ballroom in Vegas, like throwing himself on the floor to, for the for the vest to inflate, which is cool in theory. But I guess if it malfunctions, then um, especially if it's on your noggin, then that's not a good thing. And speaking of malfunctioning, at one point a couple of years ago, Lyft pulled some of its e-bikes out of use because some people were having some braking problems. Um, And that kind of seems like a nightmare scenario, right? Especially in a place like San Francisco, like you're going down a hill and then you brake really fast and injury results. So I'm curious, like are these e-bikes generally going to require more maintenance or safety features than regular bikes? And would that in any way prevent their widespread adoption? That was my question too, Lauren, because uh, the electrics, um, The e-bike problems in Portland are not quite so well documented, but people here have been 
pulling, you know, a lot of electric scooters out of the river. And I'm not really technically sure if um, the scooter shares are even still profitable at this point, because the lifespan of them is about like three to four months. And you have to kind of like balance, like how, like if I ride my bike once a day, versus a scooter that gets ridden like a dozen times a day. Like what is, what is the use? Like how long are these scooters actually serving people? But longevity of bike shares and scooters is kind of an issue for me. Like I don't like the images of uh, cleanup crews pulling dozens of bike share bikes and scooter share scooters out of the bottom of the Willamette River haunts my dreams. So I hope that these uh, new bike share programs are make their bikes a little more long-lived. Yeah, you know, vandalism is always going to be a problem and mm-hmm. maintenance is always going to be a problem. But I think one of the nice things about having a bike share uh, bike is that like even if it's a little bit damaged, like if, you know, the the wheels are a little bit out of alignment or if the brakes are a little squeaky and maybe a little soft, you can still ride it. And you can still get where you need to go in like relative safety uh, mm-hmm. and with, you know, minimal hassle. So it's like scooters are kind of a different kind of a different thing because they're a little bit harder to ride if they're a little bit janky. But bikes are pretty forgiving, I think. Um, also, with regards to the the problem that Lyft had with its e-bikes, um, I don't I, I want to be careful about like framing that as as like a real a real problem because for some people it actually was a real problem. But by and large, what was happening is that people were riding the e-bikes as fast as they can go and then grabbing a fistful of brake while leaning forward and then going over the handlebars because that's what happens when you ride a bike at 20 miles an hour and then slam on the brakes as hard as you can. You will go over the handlebars. So like I, I want to be careful to say like, oh, it's just user error because it's not just user error, but for a lot of people, that was the problem they were having on those on those Lyft bikes. Lyft handled it very well by not like blaming its users, but by saying, okay, this is a problem we'll address. And one thing to note is that with the new one, they added connectivity. So there's Wi-Fi and now they are able to sort of uh, issue firmware upgrades to the e-bike whenever there's they find any issues or they need to update the motor or anything like that. Um, and also they have these new safety sensors throughout the entire bike. So it can detect things like dead batteries, faulty brakes, um, all sorts of things. And you can even see if someone has tampered with the bike and even help it, them track it uh, more accurately when it's, you know, hopefully not in the Hudson River or something. Um, but uh, the idea is that like there's uh, just more ways and uh, availability for them to monitor these bikes more closely on a pretty regular basis. So, uh, And I think generally the, the traditional bikes are always being serviced and checked um, every day, maybe every week or something like that uh, already. So I don't know if it's that these e-bikes re- require more maintenance. Um, I think it's just sort of the part of the regular workflow. Uh, and yeah, probably they would probably need more uh, servicing, I'd say. But um, at least these new safety sensors on this this new e-bike at least um, allows them to have a more accurate analysis of what's wrong. And we do know that they're getting more use, right? Yeah. So there was a a 2019 uh, report from the North American Bike Share Association, and they said that um, 15% of bike share bikes were e-bikes. And in general, they're getting more use out of them. And of course, um, the 2020 report is supposedly coming this summer. And um, the person I spoke to there just basically said that it's 
overall across the board. Um, and one other metric that City Bike had mentioned was that in May of this year, they said that they had 1 million e-bike rides in a single month for the first time ever. Um, and it was actually more e-bike rides that month than regular analog bikes. So in general, I think everyone is sort of veering towards that option because if I'm going from one part of Brooklyn to the other, the G train isn't necessarily everywhere and uh, and Uber is also super expensive. So being able to hop on a pedal assist e-bike and take it for three to five dollars uh, and not, you know, end up as a sweaty mess at the end of it uh, is definitely very, very nice. That is like the ideal use case for e-bikes, I think, is like a complement to like a robust public transportation system. I think they call it the last mile problem, like between like the bus station to your house or your destination. Yeah, you're totally right, Adrian. Provided, of course, that there is the infrastructure at the last mile where there's a nice e-bike dock waiting for you. Infrastructure. Infrastructure. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about the ups and downs of owning your own e-bike. So while companies like Lyft are trying to put sleek and easy to use e-bikes on every city corner, there's also an exploding market for personal e-bikes. And they come with a variety of features, which can start to get a little bit confusing if you're new to the e-bike world, like myself. Which all begs a question, if shareable e-bikes are actually becoming more available, do you need to buy your own? And if you are going to buy your own, what should you look for? So Adrian, you've tested, um, I think, uh, approximately 10 million e-bikes, according to our Wired archives. What should people know about shopping for an e-bike? So like old bike calorie here, I love e-bikes. <laughs> but yes. um, the one thing that I kind that the unpopular opinion that I have is that you should probably be comfortable riding a regular pedal bike before you make the leap. Um, they do, they come in a ton of different shapes and sizes. So if you have issues with riding like a regular pedal bike without a motor on it, um, they can be, they can come in different shapes. Cargo bikes can be a lot heavier. Like you should have like a base level of comfort with riding a pedal bike, um, which is a little bit unfortunate given that the goal is to start pulling more people out of their cars. Uh, I know that there are a couple of companies that are aiming at aiming at making bikes that are more comfortable for people who had never ridden even, but those bikes tend to be um, a little heavier, as you mentioned, and that in itself can be a little bit difficult to maneuver around. Um, I'm a big fan of owning your e-bike. I mean, I live in an extremely bike-friendly city, but I don't live with an easy access of a bike share. So owning your own e-bike has been pretty critical to me. And I think that the joy of owning your own electric bike is being able to customize it to your own needs. Like if you have two kids and you're wandering out a city street, you know, I can't like park my six-year-old on the handlebars of a Lyft e-bike share and just like careen off. I mean, I could, I'd probably get arrested, but like- Six month have... old maybe, but a six-year-old is probably asking too much of that front basket. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like here is my thought. Like People are not dumb. They know that riding a bike is better for climate change. They know it's better for your health, but they're not, but you're not going to do it unless it's just as convenient and fun and easy as getting into a car. And that's what the whole point of buying your own e-bike um, is for me. Cause I recently bought my very first one after so many years of testing it. I finally caved. I've bought my own turn GSD S S zero zero. And 
I have like the, the, the bike frame for my kids and the, the soft seat and the basket for my groceries and the panniers and the child seat for my car. It, it really is 1000% just as easy to wheel an e-bike out of my garage and just go on a quick errand to the grocery store, take my kid to another kid's house for a COVID safe play date as it is for driving a car. My main example of this is that um, you can go to Burgerville and you can pre-order your food with an app <laughs> rather than going through the drive-thru. So all the cars are waiting in line, like around the block. And I roll up in my bright yellow e-bike, roll into the parking space, have them drop the food in my basket and roll out. And people have jumped out of their cars to take pictures of me <laughs> it coming in and out because it's just so much easier and faster than, than driving a car. So that, that is like a solid eight out of 10 on the smugness scale. So I applaud you. <laughs> I know. I apologize. It's my job. But. So it sounds like you know that you're a, can a good candidate for buying your own e-bike. If you're already comfortable on a regular non-mechanical mm -hmm. bike, you mm -hmm. maybe have given some e-bikes a spin. You like using them. You are you know willing to spend a little bit to customize it or make it work for you so that it's as easy to use as you know just hopping in your car and running some errands and i guess i guess coming back to that point about you're willing to spend to customize it you, you know you have a little bit of disposable income right that you can yeah. spend on an e-bike so talk about how much people should probably expect to spend give us a range for a decent e-bike um we reviewed some that are around i think the cheapest we've done is about eight hundred dollars so it is it is quite a bit of money. What I would actually really like to see is for financing options for e-bikes to become as widely spread as as they are for cars, you know, because it buying a $5,000 e-bike shouldn't be as ridiculous a proposition as it is. There are plenty of people who could who say right now who say that they can't afford a $5,000 e-bike who are totally fine with financing a like $8,000 or a $20,000 car, but that's because there's more, you know, as you mentioned, there's more infrastructure, there's more options available for you to buy one versus the other. So um, out of um, e-bike retailers also generally provide financing options as well. Um, there are credit, there are credit unions, especially in Portland that offer special e-bike <laughs> I live in Portland. Yeah, not <laughs> surprised are, at all. I know. All. There are credit unions that will that have e-bike loans that are similar in structure to a car loan. So that's also something to investigate if the idea of spending between uh, three dollars to $5,000 on an e-bike is just seems completely insane to you. I mean, I know it's really tempting to just find the cheapest e-bike out there, but I have like come this close to setting myself on fire a couple of times with cheaper with cheaper motors and cheaper consoles, especially with DTC bikes that might not always arrive at your doorstep in pristine condition. Um, if you are going to make the commitment, I would suggest going with a higher end motor. Like I always mispronounce this name, the Bosch motor mm -hmm. uh, is the top of the line one. It feels just as powerful and natural as a as a car like if you wouldn't be driving your like volkswagen up a hill having a like having like you know the accelerator trigger improperly if you wouldn't tolerate that in a car 
there's no reason why you shouldn't, why you should tolerate that in an e-bike that you're using as your primary vehicle. And Bosch reportedly tests their drivetrain systems to automotive standards, which is really reassuring, especially if you're driving with kids, like skimp on things like you don't need like fancy fenders or a rack, or even like you can get away with like plastic pedals, but brakes and motor, I think are the two things that you should really be prioritizing when you're looking for an e-bike. Uh, a lot of e-bike companies tout the range of their bike when they're selling it. So they'll say our bike has a 50 mile range or a 150 mile range. Uh, how much should people worry about range on the battery? Yeah, as Julian mentioned before, I think it's all dependent on where you're actually riding, what terrain you're covering, and how much weight you're, um, is going to be on your bike too. Uh, there are a couple of there are a couple of options. Um, so some e-bikes will give you like Specialized has battery range extenders that you can add onto your bike if you're finding that like a 20 mile range is just not suiting your needs. Uh, I know people also keep if they're using their bike as their commuter vehicle they'll also keep an extra charger and an extra battery at work um for any post-work excursions um yeah this has been a great overview of some of the mechanics of e-bikes can we also talk about etiquette <laughs> like what are the do's and don'ts in the bike lane um are mountain bikers going to give you a dirty look if you take one on the trail what should you know about where you can ride e-bikes this is really the worst part about e-bikes, Lauren. I'm so sorry. Like I could talk about this forever. Here's the thing. Like an e-bike doesn't have to look like an acoustic bike. It can look like literally anything. Like you can put like duck wings and a clown hat and put a motor on it. And as long as it has two wheels and vestigial pedals, it's, it's classified as an e-bike by the consumer product association or whatever that body is. Um, it's it, all it needs is two pedals and an e-bike. So if you are, if you've bought something like a juiced scrambler and it looks like a motorcycle, but it has two vestigial pedals on it, uh, the reaction that you're going to get riding that on a gravel trail is 100% different than the reaction I've gotten from people riding gravel e-bikes that look like you know, acoustic bikes. Like I have had, I've had hikers literally stand in my path and like glare at me. Like I've had people, yeah, I've had people yell at me. Um, legally, you're not supposed to ride any e-bike within city limits that has, uh, that can go above 20 miles per hour. Some cities uh, throttles are illegal because that can boost your speed artificially above 20 miles per hour. That's, that's when you can just make the bike go without pedaling. Yeah, that's like a button on the handlebar that, I mean, it's really helpful if you're riding a cargo bike and you need to get across a road quickly. Like that's actually the reason I wanted an e-bike was because I was biking my two kids um, around Portland and my husband was 100% convinced that we would all get crushed by an 18-wheeler because I'm just so slow. But yeah, the best thing to do would be to look up your local regulations, buy a bike that looks like a bike and stay in the bike lane and yourself as friendly as possible because it, uh, yeah, we're all just figuring this out basically. This is all so new. So it sounds like using your e-bike to get takeout or maybe even possibly going through the drive-through uh, would be better than taking it on a mountain bike trail. There are mountain bikers 
who it's completely changing the sport of mountain biking too, though, because you can, like, if you have a battery, you can just access terrain that nobody else has been able to ride. And I, I mean, they don't like it now, but they will. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, Adrian, I've learned so much. I'm really tempted to go try one now. There's actually any bike shop that's not far from where I live in Silicon Valley that's been offering rides to people to get people, you know, interested. It happens to be like right next to an Amazon office too. Um, I forget the name of the place, but I, I like drive by it all the time. So maybe next time we'll have to ride by it. Go check out some e-bikes. Yeah, Lauren, let's battle bike. Right. <laughs> that sounds good. Um, I'll, I'll ride it to Portland and come see you and hang out. <laughs> bike joust. Uh, Let's uh, let's take a break, and then we're going to come back with our recommendations. Adrian, aside from riding e-bikes, what is your recommendation this week? My recommendation this week are the Ultimate Ears Fits. Uh, they are customizable earbuds, which I picked up on the recommendation of our audio reviewer, Parker Hall. I was really skeptical about these because like I have one normal ear hole and one that is just like impossible to fit. Like it's so hard to test so many things because I have to spend like 30 minutes um, figuring out like exact bud wing combination that I can actually go running in these. And these are completely surreal. Like you can't, I can't video record this, but they've got this like squishy tip and you start the app and you put it in your ear and it <laughs> and it like heats up. And so like you have it in your ear and your ear hole is warm <laughs> and it just like customizes to your ear hole. Like this is the exact shape of my ear hole and it fits perfectly. It's insane. Like I've never had a pair of buds that fits this well. How many times can I fit the word ear hole into this one? <laughs> I'm sorry, this podcast should come with a PG-13 rating. <laughs> it's just, you know, everybody's got them, Lauren. Everybody has an ear hole, maybe two. <laughs> like, so, yeah, that's my recommendation. And they, got pretty, they have pretty great um, passive noise cancellation, too, because they just fit so well. Anyway. Oh, yeah, right. Like noise, noise isolation. Yeah. Oh, noise isolation, not cancellation. Yeah, yeah it's, it's technically the same, not the same thing, but practically the same thing. I love how Adrian, like we're a tech podcast and she, you know, she's like, oh, it's squishy. It's warm. It's in your ear hole. It fits. And then she's like, oh, by the way, active noise isolation. That's the tech feature. But the best part is how squishy and warm it is in your ear. It's, a, it's an app. So it's technology. So, yeah. <laughs> Oh, all right. That, thank you for that delightful, delightful recommendation. Um, Julian, try to top that. Uh, I don't think I can. Um, uh, but uh, my recommendation is more, uh, a lot more muted. I have a problem of uh, buying too many things and then never having enough time to actually play them or read them or anything like that. And one of the common things is video games. I tend to scoop them up when there's these big sales and then uh, a year later and I'm like, oh, I haven't played that game at all. And so I'm finally going back through my catalog of Switch games recently. And so my recommendation is to take a look at your game library and maybe don't spend $15 on 
some game on the Steam Summer Sale or something and just just play your old games. I'm currently playing Super Mario Odyssey and it's fun. I did not realize how much fun it is. And so that is the things that you might miss if you just keep buying games and don't don't play them. How often do you finish games? Uh, that's that's it's 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 a satisfying feeling. I just finished uh, Luigi's Mansion 3 uh, recently and it was this feeling of just like I feel like I just don't finish games that often. And so when I finally did, I was like, I feel very accomplished, which it's a little sad maybe, but <laughs> it was great. It's great. So uh, maybe that's a, a two-parter, uh, you know, start playing those old games and try and finish them. That sounds like a delightful uh, post-quarantine, but not quite post-pandemic hobby. Like in the sense that we're sort of emerging now and we're supposed to socialize and get out there and do more things. But every so often you still just kind of want to go back in the bunker and do something like quiet and like finishing old video games sounds like the just the perfect way to do that. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the bunker. Just going to hang out in here for a little while longer. Don't know if I can handle the real world yet. But <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's just me generally. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, what's your recommendation? Excuse me, bike. What's your recommendation? Oh, please. <laughs> um, so I actually do have an on-topic recommendation this week. Uh, it is a book. It is called The Ultimate Bicycle Owner's Manual, and it's written by Evan Weiss, who you may also know as Bike Snob New York City, a.k.a. The Bike Snob. Uh, he has written a bunch of books about his cycling adventures. He also has a column in Bicycling Magazine that runs regularly that you should all read. But this book is basically like a, a basic owner's manual for a bike, and it works for acoustic bikes and for electric bikes. It gives you tips on, like, maintaining the brakes, uh, how to set the saddle height properly, how to change a tire. It also has tips on how to ride in a city, uh, you know, things like how to share the road with cars, uh, etiquette in the bike lane that we just talked about. It's it's a really nice book to get somebody who is new to cycling or somebody who is new to maintaining their bike. A lot of people have a bike and they're like, I just don't know what to do with it because the tires flatten. I don't know. I don't want to go spend money. Just get them this book. They'll be able to figure out how to do all that stuff for themselves. Uh, there is a long history of great cycling resources on the internet uh, that are really good. There's also a good bike called uh, Zinn and the Art of Bicycle Maintenance by Howard Zinn. This book is a nice addition to the library of any cyclist. So that's my recommendation. The Ultimate Bicycle Owner's Manual by Evan Weiss. Done and done. I am definitely going to check this out, Mike. Yes, click on those affiliate links. <laughs> this is not SpawnCon. It's an actual wreck. Uh, so, Lauren, what is your recommendation? My recommendation this week is a podcast. Very meta. Recommending a podcast on a podcast. I recommend checking out podcasts by The Cut, which is produced by New York Magazine. A few specific episodes I've listened to recently. There's one titled, We Are All Burnt Out, from back in April. Still applies. Uh, they also do this series called In Her Shoes, where they interview prominent women. And there was a great episode with Lindsay Peoples-Wagner, who used to be the editor-in-chief of Vogue magazine, which, like Wired, is a Condé Nast publication. That one also aired in April. Uh, more recently, I listened to an episode called The Other Side of Optimism, which featured a really interesting Palestinian peace activist. And there are just a lot more. Um, they cover a wide range of topics, you know, finance, sex, kids, 
careers, um, e-bikes, politics. <laughs> I'm not sure they've covered e-bikes. I've listened to a lot of their podcasts, and I don't think I've heard that one yet. But um, I volunteer Adrian to go on the cut and talk about it. Um, yeah, and I just I just think they do a really great job with the podcast. They're actually changing hosts right now, or they just started um, a new host just started, but. Uh, everyone on the team does a great job there. And I should just add as part of a disclosure that I happen to be a shareholder in Vox Media, which owns New York Magazine now, which produces The Cut. Oh, so, is this is this SpawnCon? No, yes, this is like a multi-layered SpawnCon. And I am a tiny, tiny shareholder. So uh, I don't think I'm going to get any real benefit from promoting this podcast, except I think you will have the benefit of listening to it. So I think that you should check it out. Boost Lauren's net worth, people. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, is is this the the cut was hosted by Avery Truffleman before, wasn't it? Or are they switching hosts? That is correct. Avery is now going to be working on a new project and um, the cut is going to have a new host. So I recommend checking it out. Cool. All right. That's our show for this week. Thank you so much to Adrian and Julian for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thank you for having me. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Yep, we're all still on the Twitter and our DMs are open. Just check the show notes. We'll put our Twitter handles there for you. And the show is produced, as always, by the excellent Boone Ashworth. Bye for now, and we'll be back next week. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about the ups and downs of owning your own e-bike. Get it? Ups and downs? Hills? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Into the thick of it. Into, Into the, the thick, thick of it. <laughs> Woo! <laughs>